All right, ladies, welcome. So we uh, we get together on Tuesdays, uh, 10.30, in order to study Tehillim. So when we read it, it'll have a little more significance and meaning. These classes are in memory of the Tzadiket, Mrs. Lily Meddeb, Shalom, Lily Le'ah, Bad Virginia, Ruh Adonai Tenihina, Begin Eden, Amen. A project of her son, Dr. Rafi Meddeb, that uh, thought it'd be a good idea for the elevation of his mother's soul <coughs> to have these Tehillim uh, elucidated and explained. So uh, we're up to where we left off last week. We're going in order, 71. Ayn Aleph. If you have your teething books in front of you, it's uh, advantageous. So the David HaMelech is continuing where he left off last week. Uh, the subject was, he was running away from his son Avshalom. Very tragic uh, story that happens at the end of David's life, when he's already uh, a zakin, as he'll mention in the chapter. He's an old man. <coughs> and... Uh, the trials and tribulations of David followed him from when he was young until, until the end. This is one of the last things that would happen to him. He would be chased by his son who had every intention to kill him, to take David's wives, and to usurp the throne. Of course, ultimately he was saved. David HaMelech says uh, in this chapter, Becha Adonai Hasiti, which literally means uh, I put my, uh, my faith and my trust uh, in God, and as a result, al evosha the olam. So I'm never, I'm never, ashamed, I'm never ashamed. Uh, God will never let me down. <clears throat> uh, and therefore, David Amelik was known to always put his faith in a kadosh baruch Hu, and uh, as a result. He was never embarrassed by people saying, oh, look at that, you trusted in God and he didn't, come, he didn't come through for you. I was never embarrassed. Everybody knew I trusted in God and therefore <clears throat> I always had results. Now, the chapter begins differently than all other chapters. Normally the chapters begin, Lam or Mizmor David. Here we just go right into it <clears throat> because I said it's a continuation of the last chapter that we read. And there's a great rabbi called Navhida that he says that the protection of a person comes from the study of Torah. You have to know that. The Gemara says, Torah magna o matzla. The Torah protects and saves a person from uh, troubles. A few weeks ago, we said over from a great rabbi called the Nitziv from Velazhin. He says on a pasuk in the Navi uh, that the Torah is called Mishmarti. Mishmarti means my, my guard. Uh, the one, my protection. And he goes on to explain because a Torah protects a person from all sorts of uh, things that can beset him, including wars, including, God forbid, bad health, uh, including uh, being uh, tattled out to the government, meaning lawsuits, lawyers, and things like that. And it can save a person from all personal troubles. It is called mishmarti. Uh, there's something about the learning of Torah that brings a person to uh, Shemirah. And that's why he says, the mitzvah of learning Torah is 24 hours a day. There is not a moment that we're exempt from the study of Torah, at least if you're a man. Ladies have other responsibilities, but the men, 
I mean, unless they're working, trying to make a living, and they're involved in things that they have to do, all the other time, they have to have their head in the book and studying. Torah is not limited to a certain time. And the Nitzv from Velazhin explained because just like protection is needed at all times. You know, when you have a security, you don't have security three days a week, what do you do with the other four days? You need security around the clock. And therefore, just like a person needs to be protected, that's why Torah is something that is, uh, is constant. And that's why this chapter begins with the word Becha, because we know that the Torah is made up of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, I know you know the English alphabet, there's 26 letters, I'm not gonna review them with you now. I'm sure you did that when you were younger. But there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph to Taf. And that's alluded to, to the first word in the chapter, Becha. Becha is Betchaf, which is 22. And therefore we say, Becha Hashem Hasiti. Which means I received my protection because I put my energy in Becha, in the 22 letters of the Torah. And as a result of my learning, Al-Evosha Le'olam. And therefore I was never put to shame. And even when a person is undeserving, not always is a person deserving, but God has an element that's called Rav Chesed. Rav Chesed means that he's abundantly kind, even though we don't have merit. So therefore David Amen says, even if I didn't put my faith in you, because you're righteous, and you do kindness even undeserving, and therefore you will, you will save me. Furthermore, when I call out to you and pray to you, uh, turn your ear, so to speak, to me. So David Amalekh is turning to God on three levels. Number one, answer me because I put my faith into you. Number two, answer me because you answer anyway, even if we don't deserve it. Number three, answer me because I'm praying to you. So those are three reasons why David Amalekh should be saved. I saw a beautiful interpretation over here. David Melech, in his younger years, when he was running, running away from Shaul, King Shaul, that is. So he used to hide in the in the uh, in the wilderness, and he had to camouflage himself under the rocks. So when Shaul's men came, they wouldn't see him. So over here, a rock is called Litzur. Litzur is a rock. And David says, Litzur ma'on, my dwelling was the tzur. Meaning I lived in the rocks, I lived in the, in the cracks in order to hide from Shaul. So again, li litzur ma'on. That even though, and this is very, very, very beautiful, that even though naturally you would say David got saved because he was hiding in the rock, but David says, I know that it wasn't the rock that saved me, it was you that saved me. This is a very important point. That even though there's natural causes to everything, and people usually uh, attribute the salvation to the natural cause, oh, look at that, because it has happened, it didn't happen to me, I got saved. But David Amalek says, no, li. I know that it was, it was you, litzud ma'on, when I was living in the rocks, you told the angels to save me. When a person is saved from a calamity, it's because God told the Malachim, go down to this person and save him. You see it a lot of times, where sometimes a person is in a very, very dangerous situation and he gets saved, and then he's doing something silly and he gets hurt. How many times did you hear, 
<clears throat> Crazy things happen. One time we were in the car, the car fell off the cliff. I mean, logic says if a car falls off a cliff and rolls 100 feet down into a, uh, into a, a ravine, uh, you're not going to live. And we all walked out of the car. We just went like this, unscathed. When the, when the Arab guy came to look at us, he said, where's the dead people? We said, we're the dead people. That's it. He says, wow, Allah Akbar. He went crazy. The guy, he made a beracha. So what does that mean? That God sent the angels down. And he said, these people, no matter what happens to them, save them. And then you see another person that they're, they're cutting a bagel. Nothing there. Well, boom. And they cut their finger. All of a sudden, in the hospital, stitcher. So you say, what's more dangerous, falling off a cliff or cutting a bagel? You'd say, falling off a cliff is probably more dangerous cutting a bagel. But if Hashem wants to save a person, he's going to save a person in the most serious situation. And if he doesn't want to save the guy, even a guy falls out of bed. Falls out of bed, he breaks his head, God forbid. What's deeper, falling out of a bed? I don't care how tall the bed is. The guy fell out of his bed. It's safer than falling off a cliff. And here we fell off a cliff. So, they, so don't start giving interpretations. Oh, you know why? Because the car landed on its uh, tires. That's all the natural cause. But if Hashem wanted to get the guy, he can get the guy lying in bed. Something will happen to him. So therefore, David Amelim says, I know that I had to do the physical attempt to hide in the rocks. I hid in the rocks. But I only got saved because because you commanded me that I should be saved. You told the angels that make sure Shaul's eyes will not see me. Make sure I will not get caught. He did not attribute his salvation to the physical uh, effort that he made, although he had to make the physical effort when Allah to rely on miracles, but he didn't get fooled into coming along and saying, and that's uh, what happened. Unfortunately, it happens, uh, for example, in the wars uh, when Israel was fighting uh, in the 67. Six-day war, which we love to talk about, because it was such a miraculous war. But unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, the people who don't believe came along and started to explain the victory according to, you know, natural uh, order. But there was that that war, if any war, was so unnatural and so supernatural, miraculous, how they were able to, you know, beat all the enemies on all fronts. But the secularists came along and started to explain it why it was you know, uh, logical, and why it was the hand of the army and not the hand of God. Uh, Borei Olam showed them in 1973, when they were caught off surprise, that all your geniuses and all your army and all your surveillance, and all your, they didn't even realize that the enemy had infiltrated into, uh, into the country, and they were caught off guard. That was God's reminder to say, don't think it's your prowess, and don't think it's your knowledge. Uh, I am here, but I don't know if it taught them the lesson, to be honest with you. Anyway, David Amalek is saying over here, Ki sal'i um sudati ata. What are beautiful words. You know who my rock is? And you know who my protection is? Ata. You. You are my rock. David wasn't fooled that it was the rock that saved him. He knew it was God that commanded the angels to protect them uh, in the rock. Elohai, pasuk dalit. Paleteni miyad rasha. Save me from the hands of rasha. He's referring to Ahitofel over here. Ahitofel was an advisor of Avshalom. And he's the one that was giving Avshalom all the bad advice, how to fight David. So he says, Elohai, God Almighty, Paleteni miyad rasha. Save me from the rasha. Mikaf me'avel, from the one that commits uh, uh, you know, wrongdoing. Me'avel, v'chometz. And v'chometz means over here, and the thieves. 
because basically they were, start, they were trying to steal the throne from David. They were trying to usurp his throne from Jerusalem, kick him out, take his palace, take his wives. So he says, save me from the chometz. The chometz, the tzaddi and the samich are interchangeable. And we know hamasnu, that we say in the vidui. Hamasnu means we took things that don't belong to us. And therefore we're saying, save me from those that are trying to take things that don't belong. Ki ata tikvati. Adonai Elohim Miftahim in Urai. Ki atatikvati, I put my hope only in you, God Almighty. Miftahi, you are the one that I trust min Urai. From when I was um, from when I was a uh, a child. Even from when I was young, because David Melech he's almost 70 years over here. And he said, I'm doing this for 70 years, trusting you. When this guy was chasing me, and this woman was trying to kill me, and this woman was trying to... He said, I'm used to this already. I put my faith in God, and I always came out uh, winning. Now we come to Pasuk Vav, which is something special. Let's read it according to the simple interpretation, and then I will introduce to you uh, the Hidushim. Alecha nismachti, I relied on you, God, and I uh, leaned on you. Mibetin from, from the womb, when he was in his mother's womb. Of course, every child relies on God when he's in the mother's womb in order to make sure he gets nutrition and all that he's able to survive. me from my mother's womb, from my mother's insides, atagozi. Okay, now what does this mean over here? atagozi. So look at that she, that she says, atamotsi'i uma'abiri. You removed me. You took me out of my mother's womb. Ligzoz is to cut. Gozez. Gozez is to cut. Atagozi. You cut me out of the womb. Ladies, you know better than me. I didn't experience it. But when the baby comes out, Sandra, they, they, they cut the baby. They cut the umbilical cord. The baby now is, is cut out. So he's saying, miracles happened. He says, you were with me when I was powerless, when I was an infant in my mother's womb. Atagozi, you cut me out. You removed me from that uh, from that place over there. It's all you, and therefore, bechat tamid. Therefore, my praise to you is constant. Simple interpretation. Now I open up the Gemara. See a lot of these pesukim, the Talmud uh, discusses them on a deeper level. So I want to introduce to you a Gemara on Daf Lamid Amudbet in Masichet Nida. This is telling us a phenomenon that happens to every baby in the mother's womb, right before the baby is about to come out. There's something that happens inside the womb. There's a certain uh, uh, ceremony, we'll call it, that takes place. Again, you want to you, you be aware of it because you're too busy screaming and yelling and uh, you know, trying to get through the process, but there is definitely something going on that the Gemara is aware of. It says, when the baby is about uh, to come to the Avir Ha'olam, to the world, an angel comes, and it, it hits the baby under the nose. There's a cleft, like a fingerprint. And what happens when the Malach hits the baby on that spot? And the Baby forgets all the Torah that it learned in the mother's womb. That tells us that there's an angel that's teaching the baby in the mother's womb. That's why ladies have a glow on them 
because the angel is teaching Torah. Now, Eno Yotze Misham, but right before the baby comes out, Ad Shemashpi'im Oto. They put the child under oath. You know, in court, lift up your right hand, put, put your hand on the Bible. So they do that to the baby before he comes out. They say, listen, you're about to come into this world over here. You are officially under oath. Mashbi'im Oto. They make him make a solemn swear. Shne'emar, as it says in the Pasuk, kol berich, tishaba kol lashon. Every tongue is going to have to make a shivu'ah to you. And what does that mean? So it says, Tishava kolashon, ze yom haleda. When he's born. Umayi a shivu'ah. What shivu'ah do they tell him? Make sure you eat your, 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 your applesauce. What, what, what shivu'ah are they going to tell the kid uh, when he's being born? Umayi a shivu'ah shemashbe'im oto. They tell him, Tehi sadiq, ve'al tehi rasha'ah. Listen, you're now being brought into this world. And you better understand that you came to this world with a mission. And you have a purpose. And therefore you must swear to us, or to God, that you're going to be a tzaddik. And you're not going to be rasha. And even if the whole world tells you, you're a sadiq, you're unbelievable, you're a sadiq. To yourself, you should view yourself as rasha. You must know that God is pure. And his angels are pure. And the soul that he imparted to you is holy. If you will hold on and keep your soul in purity, <coughs> good. Be careful. If you defile the soul, we take it back. And the boy or the girl in the womb says, I swear, I, I accept. And this is learned from where? The Gibara says, it's learned from the chapter and the pursuit that we just Learned. The Gemara learns the word gozi, that's a language of swear. So you made me swear under oath in me when I was in my mother's womb. Now that means that every time a person, God forbid, commits a sin, every sin now has two sins to it. Number one, the sin. And number two, you broke the shivuah that you promised in the womb that you're going to keep. That explains why on Yom Kippur, how do we begin the service? With Kal Nidre. And we're asking God to forgive us for all the swears and all the vows and all the promises. And we think when we're doing this ceremony, he said, we don't make too many swears that you have to make a ceremony called Kal Nidre. And we open up the service of Kippur, asking God to absolve us from the sins of swearing. We don't make too many swears every time we say, <clears throat> We're actually asking God to forgive us for that swear that we made in the mother's womb. And we told you we're going to be a tzaddik. And unfortunately, we weren't always living up to that. Therefore, God should forgive us for that shivuah. 
Based on this, we also explained that if you read uh, <coughs> on Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is right around the corner. Rosh Hashanah, we have a reading. What's the reading on Rosh Hashanah? We read about uh, how God remembered Sarah Emenu and gave her a child. And the reason why we read that is because it says that she conceived on Rosh Hashanah. That's when the angels came to, and therefore it's an appropriate reading. And then we also read about Akedat Yitzhak, the second day. Because some say that Akedat Yitzhak happened on Rosh Hashanah. Unbelievable stuff. But in the reading of the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read about an encounter that Abimelech had with Avraham Abinu. And how Abimelech and Avraham made a peace treaty. That Abimelech is not going to fight with Avraham's children, and Avraham's not going to fight with Abimelech's children. And it says they both made a pact. And it says in the Pasuk, by Yomar, Avraham says, Anuchi Eshabaya. I will swear. And I once asked the big rabbi, what is it going to do with Rosh Hashanah, this story? And he said, because on every Rosh Hashanah, we're re- renewing the Shivu'ah that we made in the womb. So when we read these words, We're not only hearing Abraham <coughs> committing himself to Abimelech and vice versa, but we're reminding ourselves <coughs> of the Shivu'ah that we made and that we were in contempt of the previous year. And therefore we're saying again to ourselves, I will swear against God, and like we say, take two or take, take 52, whatever the years you are. The point is, we'll do it again the right way. Now on this, on the Shavu'ah, that, and we don't remember it. Why don't we remember the Shavu'ah? Because when they push the, uh, uh, the fingerprint underneath the nose by the cleft, it's a delete button. So therefore, we don't remember this happened. So that's why you need the Gemara to come and tell you. You might have forgotten it, but take my word, it happened. And therefore, any time we're serving God, we're under oath, and we got, that was the condition that God allowed us to emerge from the mother's womb. But I saw a big question. It says in the Gemara here, that one of the things they tell the child is, that even if the whole world tells you that you're a tzaddik, you should consider yourself a rasha. And why is that? I would assume if the whole world is telling you it's Sadiq, I mean, you must be the biggest Sadiq in the world then. Why then should you consider yourself Rasha? So I saw from the Satmarav, the Devre Yoel in Parashat Shofetim, he says, regarding our story of Avshalom, this guy Avshalom, in the Navi, in Perek, uh, in Shemuel Bet, in Perek Tedvav, it says, Vayomer Avshalom, Avshalom is talking. Mi yisimeni shofet ba'aris, he's talking to his people. If you nominate me, the leader of the people, ve'alai yavok kol ish, and I will be your judge, and all people that have court cases will come to me, asher lo rivu mishpat, v'hitzdaktiv. V'hitzdaktiv means, I will justify everybody. And then he says, Pasuk, Vayignov Abshalom etlev anche Yisrael. Abshalom was able to steal the hearts of the people. He was able to convince the people. He says, if you make me your leader, 
you will come to me in the court and I will justify everybody. As the Satmarav, how can you justify everybody? I'm in a court, somebody's innocent and somebody's guilty. You cannot have a court where the judge says, you're both innocent. So how can he say, and I will justify all of them, everybody. And what does it mean the people fell for it? So what it means is like this. Avshalom was a master false flatterer. In Hebrew we call that a mahnif. You know what a mahnif is? Mahnif is that even when you see somebody that's doing avon, you tell them, you're tzaddik, don't worry about it, you're azid, Hashem loves you, you're great, don't worry about it. Instead of telling the guy, hey Rasha, what are you doing? This is avon, shabbat. This is This is avon. But a person that wants to be friendly with everybody and he wants to be loved by everybody, so therefore he tells everybody what they want to hear. And therefore, what was he saying? He says, trust me, even if you come to my court, and even if I find you guilty, in my mind, you're a tzaddik. I will not think anything less of you. And therefore the people came along and said, wow, what a great leader over here is. And the, the, the thing is like this, that if you have a leader, that he tells everybody, you're a tzaddik, so what are they going to tell the leader back? You're the biggest tzaddik, because he's telling them what they want to hear. Understand what's going on? And therefore, the way the Satmarav explains this Gemara, that if everybody's telling you that you're a tzaddik, then you must know you're a rasha. Because the real tzaddik has enemies. The real tzaddik, not the whole community is saying you're a tzaddik. The real tzaddik, there's guys that hate him, there are guys that are upset at him. Why? Because he rebukes them. Because he doesn't show, uh, he doesn't show favoritism to anybody. But if you're a type of leader that the whole world is saying you're a tzaddik, then that's the biggest indication you must be a rasha. Because the only reason why they're calling you a tzaddik is because you're not rebuking them. You're telling them not what they're supposed to hear, you're telling them what they want to hear. And therefore, of course they're going to lift you up. Because as long as they have you as the leader, they can get away with murder and be told that they're going to go to Eden also. Who doesn't want to hear that? And therefore, the Rabbi Sil Salanta said, any, any tzaddik or any tabid hakam that has the full uh, support of his community without any people that are upset at him is not a tabid hakam. That shows he's not doing his job. Because all he's doing is placating everybody. Therefore, he's placating. Therefore, the job of the rabbi is not to tell, one time Al-Gindi, Al-Vashlam, told me, the job of a rabbi is the job of a doctor. A doctor has to tell the patient the truth. Imagine if a patient comes in and he's sick. The doctor doesn't want to make the guy feel bad. He does, ah, you'll be okay, don't worry about it, you're fine. Let's go up, take a couple of Tylenol. Meanwhile, the guy died because the doctor didn't want to tell him the, 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 the sickness that he had. So he said, the rabbi is the same thing. When the rabbi comes in and comes to tell the people, ah, don't worry about it, everything's good, just give tzedakah and you'll be okay. Well, just give tzedakah, there's 613 mitzvot. Tzedakah doesn't whitewash all the other avonot that's being done. But the rabbi is scared from the people, therefore he tells them, ba'amech kulam tzedikim. So when they come back, so oh, we love our rabbi. Our rabbi is the best rabbi. Why is he the best rabbi? Because he doesn't tell you to do anything. Because he doesn't hold you responsible for anything. Because he doesn't make you feel guilty. Because he doesn't make you feel upset. So therefore, that's the way the Sabbath Rebbe said this. Shalom was that type of guy. He stole the heart of the people by saying that whoever comes to my court, it's true. Somebody will be innocent and somebody will be guilty. But I promise you, the one that's guilty in my mind, he's innocent. I don't hold him guilty at all. There has to be an innocent and guilty in the courtroom. But in my brain, 
Ah, you're a tzaddik, I won't look at you any different. Therefore, they kept along and said, we can get away with doing wrong and we'll never look bad in the eyes of Avshalom. Therefore, he was false flattering them. And that's what the Pasuk says, Vayignov, he stole the hearts of the people. And that's what the, the Gemara means uh, over here. And that's why uh, the uh, 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 Gemara says in another place, in Sota, Kol Adam Shieshlo Hanupa. Anybody that's a false flatterer, Afilu Ubarin Iman Mikalilinoto. Even the babies in the womb curse that guy out. He's such a bad guy, the false flatterer, that even the babies in the womb curse him out. Says the Sapa Rebbe, what are you bringing the babies in the womb for? It's because they were told by God before they came out this law that if everybody's calling you a tzaddik, know that you're an asha. So they know about this law of what does it mean to be a false flatterer. So when they see one in the world, they say, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy they were talking about. So even they will curse him. So that's uh, definitely something to, uh, to keep in mind, that we're under, that we're under oath. Now, if you look at the next pasuk, the next three pasukim all have beautiful things on it. Kemofet ha'iti lerabim. David Amalek says, I was like a wonder. Mofet is a wonder. The people thought that I was a wonder. Why? Because when he was young, it says David once, like it says in Shemuel Aleph, Perik Zayin, he was confronted with a lion and a bear. And David, with his bare hands, no pun intended, was able to rip apart the lion and the bear. And some say it was just, it was a lion with its cubs, and it was a bear with its cubs. So it was like a whole, uh, somebody let, let, let the animals loose from, from, from the safari. And David and Melik was able to do it, and they heard about it. So he says, the people said, this is a mofet. This man over here is a, is, is a wonder. But then David says, but it wasn't me. The strength came from you. So again, here David Amelech again does not lose sight of the true power and the true source of his strength. He didn't come along and say, ah, you know why? Because I worked out every single day in the gym and therefore I had big muscles and therefore I was prepared and all that. That's, that's like the, 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 the lady in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, aquarium. They come along and say, yes, we train these uh, animals, these, these uh, what do you call it, these whales, how to talk, and they, they follow our instruction, and they jump to the hoop, and then all of a sudden, the whale eats the, the trainer. And they say, we had to close this aquarium for a couple of days. What happened? I thought you trained them, I thought they talked to you, I thought they understand you. And then, uh, you, you think, you, think you, you, you have credit over there? When the, when the whale gets hungry, it's going to eat you. So that should eat, and so that will be eat. So now what happened, David? David says, when I killed the lion and I killed the bear, I didn't think it was my strength. The people were saying, wow, he's a wonder boy. However, the strength is coming from you. Now the Benish Hai says over here something beautiful. He writes that there's certain books that some of the people use, but not all of the people. Let's say even the Talmud. Ladies, for example, that, they don't use the Talmud so much. They're not required to. The men, we hope most of them will use it. There's certain books on the shelf, like the Zohar, the Kadosh, and things like that, the books of you know, the Mekubalim. Very few people go to that section of the bookshelf. And uh, even the men, because they're very esoteric, they're very deep. And then you have, however, one book, which is the most popular book 
in the Jewish library that everybody uses. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a lady or an adult or a child or a big chakam or a, a low person. And that is what? The book of Tehillim. Everybody, every single day will not go through his life without mentioning some of the chapters of Tehillim. It cannot be. You pray Shaharit in the morning. The zimirot that you say in the morning are all the last chapters of the Tehillim. From Mizmor Netodah, to Yehichevot, to Ashret, to the Hallelujahs. And most people have a regiment. They say five chapters a day, ten chapters a day, certain chapters a day. So David Melech was saying that, thank God my contribution to the Jewish library, which is the book of Tehillim, it became like bread. What does he mean like bread? Bread is something that's a staple. Not every day you have, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 dessert. Not every day do you have, you know, extras. But bread, bread is every single day to have bread. That's a staple, staple food. You have to have bread. So therefore, he, the Benish Chai says, Kemofet. If you take the word Kemofet, you could break the word Kemofet. Kemopat. Kemopat means like bread. Kemopat haiti lerabim. I was like bread to the people. That means my book was used like bread and butter. Every single day, the people have a pat, the tailing was used as well. A beautiful derash of the Benish Chai. But then he says a deeper explanation. We know that David Melech uh, committed some sins. Now, be patient. Don't think that David's sins were anything like the sins that you heard of by other people. David's sins were very fine sins. The tzaddik, God holds him responsible even for sins that might not be uh, 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 noticed on other people, but the tzaddik, because he's so pure, even small infractions are magnified. Okay, that's a general rule you have to know. We have a principle that the Gemara says, God loves the Baal Teshuvah. If a person makes Teshuvah, his standing in certain degrees is higher than the person that never sinned and never returned. And there's reasons for that, why God loves the Baal Teshuvah. Our rabbi tells that even the sins of the Baal Teshuvah turn into mitzvot at a certain point of the process. So nobody should say, yeah, I'm going to be a Baal Teshuvah, but I'm a second class citizen. No, not the case. When a person changes his life around, and he starts to repent to God, Bori Alam holds him in a high standing. My Rabbi Acham, Yosef Hamway, used to explain to us, he used to say, because he would give a mashal of a king that had very, very special jelly, royal jelly, and he had three jars of it, and it was the most delicious jelly that was ever created, never tasted. And he went to three people, and he gave it to them, and he said, you must hold this jar for three days, and then you return it to me as is. And then I'll reward you accordingly. The first guy took the jar, he threw it into the closet, he locked the closet, he sealed it. So I said, what are you doing? He said, don't even go in there, don't even touch it, don't look at it in three days, I'll, I'll talk to you. <clears throat> the other guy, he came along and said, ah, you know what? I could take the seal off just to smell it, not to eat it. And the king won't realize I took the seal off it and did it very, very good. He smelled it. And all of a sudden he says, wow, you know what? Let me just take a little taste, a little, a little taste. And then I come, he won't even know that it's missing. Before you know it, he ate the whole thing. He finished the whole job. The third guy, also like the second guy, he wanted to smell it. And then 
from the, the tasting, he started to eat it, and then all of a sudden, midway, he said, what, you, what was I doing over here? What am I doing? I, and he, he kept it up and he closed it. Now, three days later, they come back to the king. The first guy is very proud of himself. He brings the cabinet to the king. He said, what is this cabinet over here? He said, uh, I'm not going uh, to even show you what I did over here. You break it open. He breaks it open, the king. Sure enough, he sees the, the, the jelly in the jo- intact with the seal, perfect. He gives him a hundred ruble, which was a lot of money. Another guy comes, empty, empty jar, finished. So he comes along and says, You have no busha, you brought me an empty jar. The guy says, If I would be able to eat the jar, I would eat the jar also. That's how delicious this was. He puts him in prison. And then the third guy says, Forget about it. What are they going to do to me now? He knows he's in trouble. He brings the jar to the king. The king looks. What is this over here? What happened to the other half? Which I tell you. I ate it. Then what happened? In the middle of the eating, I stopped. He said, why did you stop? I regretted what I was doing. He says, you were able to control yourself after you tasted this jelly? You were able to control yourself to stop? 200 rubles. The guy who came with the cabinet said, what do you mean? I didn't eat it at all. He said, you never tasted it. You never tasted it. He's bigger. He tasted it. And he stopped. That's why Susu Hama used to explain it to us. So he says, a guy who never went into the world, who did Averot, he's in the Beit Midrash all day long. He never tasted, he never felt what that is over there. So he said, oh, he's a Sadiq. But the other guy, he went to the other place. And he felt the pleasures of this world. He ate what he's not supposed to eat. He went where he's not supposed to go. He partied where he's not supposed to party. Now from the middle of life to say, that's it, no more. What else? Oh, that's big over here. Someone had tasted that side of Ola Mazer and to resist it after you tasted it, it's almost, it's almost like an addict. Much harder for an addict to stop his bad uh, traits than to somebody that was never even uh, tested. Something like that. So anyway, the Rav is saying like this. David, in a certain sense, showed that anybody can make Teshuvah from any sins. And David, Teshuvah was accepted. Many of the chapters that we learned reflect about David's repentance to God. Now, the Vedic High says something unbelievable. There's two items that we make two different berachot on it because it is in different stages. I'll give you a simple example I'm talking about. If a person eats a grape, what's the berachah on the grape? I know it's not a halakha class, but you're right. Okay, we all agree on that. And now let's say you take the grape, and you squeeze it, and you turn it into grape juice. It gets an upgrade. It gets an upgrade to bure geffen. That doesn't happen with other stuff. If you take an orange, the orange is it. You squeeze the juice, now what happens to it? Shakol gets downgraded. Shakol is a downgrade to it because it's less specific. Geffen is more specific, it's a, it's a higher beracha. What's the only other item that gets an upgrade? Ah, you don't know. Ah, zaka, zaka, beracha. Bread. If you take, let's say, a kernel of wheat, and you chew a kernel of wheat, in the old days you should take wheat and roast it. And they call them uh, 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 kaluyot. Kaluyot. As a matter of fact, the kaluyot used to be a, a, like a, um, a treat that they used to give the kids. On the night of Pesach, it says, you're supposed to bribe the kids with different goodies, so they come to the Seder. So the Gemara says they used to give them kaluyot, roasted wheat. Okay, today give them roasted wheat, you'll see what they'll do to you. They'll take those Seder, they'll flip the table, and then they'll go, they'll go, they'll go before they go to their room. 
which means everything, everything is according to the generations. Now, what's the beracha on roasted wheat? No, no, no. Because she's eating an actual wheat as it came into the ground. You make bure peri adama. Good. Now you crush it into flour. And now you make a cake. It gets elevated. What beracha? Mezonot. And now you turn the flour into bread. Now it gets the highest level. So you see bread gets, the boy, it changes. It went from a and then it went to flour, and then it went to bread itself. So it changes and it goes up. So David Melech was saying, when I made Teshuvah, I was like bread. In the sense that even though I changed, I got higher. And therefore David says, Just like bread, the beracha becomes elevated. When you change it, so too when I changed my ways and I made Teshuvah, I showed the people that you don't get worse by making Teshuvah. You actually become better. There's a, an aliyah. So those are two beautiful interpretations. Now we get to the next pasuk. What does that mean? My mouth, very good. My mouth is filled with your praise. All day long, I speak of your uh, glory. And I praise you in the different, in the different words. Now on this pasuk uh, over here, we have a Gemara in Berachot on page 50. Ladies, I know it's not a halakha class, but you'd be surprised. A lot of the halakhot that we follow are based on pesukim in Tehillim. And since this is one of the pesukim that the Gemara is Doresh, so I did bring the Shohan Aruch to the Shi'ur today. Do not hold me uh, responsible and says, this is a Tehillim class, it's not a Halakha class, we want our money back. So, you won't, you won't regret it. So there's a question like this. You tell me what happens. Maran is writing in Shuhan Aruch, Siman Kuf Ayin Bet, Halakha Bet. Shachah v'hichnis ochalin letoch piv v'do beracha. Happens. Somebody once was eating, and they put the food in their mouth, and they forgot to make a beracha. Now the food already is in their mouth. What is the halakha in such a situation? Again, the food is in his mouth, and he forgot to make a beracha. Answer like a tamid hacham. Very good, it depends. Don't fall for my questions. Any question I'll ever ask you, the answer always is gonna be, it depends. Of course it depends. There's a lot of scenarios over here. First you have to ask me, Rabbi, what, what's in his mouth? What is he eating first? There may be different, maybe there's a difference between liquid and solid. And we don't know. Everything is variables. So Shohan says, If it's an item that doesn't get disgusted, if you could spit it out. For example, you have a sucking candy. President of a sucking candy, has it in his mouth. I didn't say shakot. Why, why, why? So take the paper. And not in front of people because you don't want to make yourself disgusting in front of people. Go privately. Spit it out into the, into the paper. And then say, and put it again. 
לדעת, ספק יקרת. ואם הוא דבר שנמאס, but let's say you have something in his mouth that if he spits it out, it's nemas, it's disgusting. He has, uh, he's eating a jadra in his mouth, he's chewing on it, he's going to spit it out over there, it's nemas. After you spit it out, can you eat it again? Is that a cow? Not So therefore, in that case over there, what should he do? To spit it out is not an option because you're not allowed to waste food. Because once he spits it out, you're going to have to discard it. And the Torah does not want you to waste food, but you have to make a beracha. So what do they tell him to do? It says in the Shohan Aruch, Let him put it on the side of his mouth and make the beracha accordingly. But Jadra, Borim, and Emizonot, we say, and that's what he does. Understand? That's the beracha on the Jadra. We once said a story from Achav Abraham Raful, Allah B'Shalom. He was giving a class on Hilchot Berachot, and he said that the beracha... And the Jadra, if the majority is rice, you make mezonot. And then he said, and if the majority is lentils, you make burepri adama. He was giving him an example. So one of the geniuses in the class said, and what if it's exactly 50-50? The rabbi said, what, 50-50? You counted the 50? So how's the rabbi going to answer? So he says, take one lentil and throw it out and make mezonot. Now it's, <laughs> <laughs> he answered on the spot like that. He's the mirakam. The guy's asking a silly question. 50-50, Mechiwa, you cut it. How many lentils are there? How many rice there are? 50-50. So now, oh, so therefore he says, in that case, Shohan Aruch says, put the food on the side of the mouth, and therefore you can make the beracha as such. Now there's a third example that Shohan Aruch writes. What if it's a beverage? He has water in his mouth. Now water, if you spit out, finished, you lose it. If you're going to put it to the side and say the beracha, unless you're a ventriloquist, it's going, to, it's going to fall out. So therefore, what do you do? Shoshan Aruch says, in that case, you have no choice, swallow it. Swallow it. And the Benish Hai says, before you swallow it, try to have kabanav, the beracha, in your brain. In your brain, and then swallow it. Or if there's more water on the table, make beracha in the water, and then you could uh, retroactively cover the water that you swallowed. So there's three scenarios. You see what it mean? depends on? It depends on what the item is. If it's an item you can take out, take out. If it's an item you can move to the side because you can't spit it out, move to the side. If it's an item you can't do either of it, swallow it and finish. So the Gemara asks the following question. Why when it comes to a sucking candy you told me to take it out, why not just move it to the side of your mouth? I mean, when it came to the rice, you told me, put it to the side of your mouth, eating fruit. When you're eating a fruit, you could spit it out? No, put it to the side. So why do they prefer when you're eating something that you're able to remove, to remove it? Just tell them to put it to the side. So the Gemara says, because of this pasuk, that when you're praising God, the praise of God should fill your mouth, and there should not be anything else Interfering, as the pasuk says, that your mouth should be filled with the praise of God. And if you have a sucking candy in your mouth, so it's not filled exclusively with the praise of God; it's filled with the praise of God plus. Ah, oh, when you're praising God, your mouth should be totally clean and totally exclusively to the service of the praise. Now. In certain cases where you cannot, you cannot. But if you're able to get to the level of Yemalepi, 
for sure you should take it out and make the berakhah. You know what happens? I'll tell you what happens with many people. Not people who forget to make berakhot, because I don't think the members of this class forget to make berakhot. But I'll tell you what does happen. When you're eating, now you have, let's say, you're eating and there's food in your mouth. And now you want to eat the next item. So therefore you want to make a berakhah on that item when you still have food in your mouth. Of course, when a person has all these delicious things in front of him, so he's worried the food's going to run away from him. <laughs> because sometimes uh, well, it's going to spoil. So therefore right away, they make berakhot. And they don't, they don't remember, you're not allowed to make berakhot when there's food in your mouth. You remember your mother said, don't talk when you have food in your mouth? The halakha doesn't talk about that. Although they're probably right. The halakha is talking about here, don't bless God when you have food in your mouth. So therefore the halakha says, Yemalefitehlatecha. You have to swallow first, make sure you don't have anything in your mouth, and now you make a new berakha. Furthermore, the Mishnah Bruna says, you're learning halakha today. Furthermore, the halakha says, Yemalefitehlatecha. When a person is talking, he articulates. When you're talking to your friend, sometimes you hear the ladies, you can hear them from the other end of the room. They're talking very clear, you can everything that they're saying. They're, they're speaking very, very clear. Then when it comes to make a barakha, <laughs> what happened over here? What happened over here? Don't say you don't know how to articulate. It happens to the men even more than the ladies. The men in shul on Shabbat, Unfortunately, during the Sefer Torah, I hear them yeah, talking, they're talking, they're talking, they're talking. Now you give the guy an aliyah. You can't even hear his voice. What happens to you? Cat cut your tongue? He gets shy all of a sudden. Why are you shy? When you were sitting over there, all the, all the Habil Habalim, Amar Kohelet, you were talking out loud, the whole shul was able to hear your conversation. Now we come to praise God, all of a sudden he comes, he comes shy. Bishanim, Rahmanim, Gumna Hasadim. comes a, a shy guy all of a sudden. What happened? So therefore the Mishnah Barah says, when it comes to making the Berakhayi Malefi, your mouth should be, use all the parts of your mouth in order to articulate, to make the Berakha correctly. Baruch, Atta, say it loud and say the Berakha uh, clear. Do not swallow the Berakhot, and as we said, swallow the letters. Acham Baruch, Allah Shalom. And again, David, sometimes when we used to make Berakhot, we kids, so we used to make the Berakhot uh, quickly. So he said, you have to make a beracha, harona on the beracha. Meaning, you swallow the beracha. Therefore, you have to make an after blessing on the blessing that you ate. You ate the blessing. Forget about eating the food. You swallow the blessing. You have to make a beracha, harona on the beracha. And the rabbi would tell us that many times when a person is making berachot, if you're not going to pay attention closely, you will swallow letters. As an example, he told us. When a person says, baruch there's no such word as chata. Baruchata. Most people say Baruchata, Baruchata. You swallow the Aleph. Baruchata. Now, if you're not going to articulate and you say it quickly, Baruchata, Baruchata, so a person never said a Berachah correctly in his life. They're going to come to him in 120 years, the second man never made Berachot. Hey, get the video, I made Berachot. You're going to slow down the video and they're going to Baruchata. Say it again, Baruchata. Where's the Aleph? God Almighty, the cucumbers were in front of me. I could not resist. And therefore, I had no time to say the Aleph. I had no time to say the Aleph. Okay, now you're going to have a lot of time. The point is, you have to make sure that you say every word. The second letter Hakam Baruch would say was, Elokeinu melech ha'olam. 
Melech HaOlam, they're swallowing the He. Melech HaOlam. You have to articulate the He. But if you say it quickly, you say Melech You take the Chaf and you use it for the last letter of Melech and the first letter of Ha. And you combine it because letters are expensive. And therefore, you say Melech Melech There's no Ha. Melech And then he said, Hamotzi Lechem Menaaris. Now the last letter of Lechem is a Mem. And the first letter of Min is a Mem. So what does a person do? He economizes. Uh, two Mems is uh, it's costly. So what does he do? Hamotzi Lechem Menaaris. He uses one Mem for both. So he took a Mem also. He said, Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaris. To make a separation. So that was Hamaruch used to say. Those three letters. So I added to the rabbi's derash. And I said, it says that a person has to make a hundred berachot every single day. And how do they know it? Because when Moshe Rabbeinu was talking to, peop- to the people, it says, What does God want from you? So the Gemara says, don't read the word ma. Read it me'ah. You know what he wants from you? Me'ah. He wants a hundred blessings a day. And if you just act Jewishly, you'll make a hundred berachot a day. Easily. Okay, on Shabbat, a little more complicated. On fast days, it's for another time when we give halakha. So I said, the Gemara is saying, he wants of you me'ah, because those are the three letters that people swallow. The mem of hamotzi lechem mena'aris, the aleph of baruch Atta, and the hair of ha'olam. So God's saying, don't forget the three letters, mem, aleph, hair. Al tikrema ela me'ah. Make sure when you say the berachot, Speak, speak properly. Speak, speak loudly. Like the Bar Mitzvah boys, bless them. When they go up to the Sefer Torah, they read the Beracha slowly. Chabaruch would say, the way you make the blessings, What's Like counting pearls. He meant to say when you're counting uh, money, let's say. See how they count money? Each one, they, they feel it. They feel it. Maybe something stuck. They don't want to, they count it again, they count it again, count it slowly, slowly, slowly. Don't rush me, don't rush me, don't make me count the money, don't interrupt me over here. So he said, the berachot is kemone margaliyot. It's like you're counting, you're counting pearls. So we learn a lot from this pasuk over here. Number one, a person's mouth should be totally vacant and empty without anything when he's making the berachot, if he can. Unless he has something in his mouth already, because he forgot to make the berakah, then we tell him to uh, spit it out or swallow. But even if he didn't forget to make a berakah, when he's eating naturally, he should always swallow what he has in his mouth and be patient before he makes it. And when he makes the berakah, it should be made no less than the conversation that he has on the table. On the conversation that he has... He's talking very slowly and very loudly and very properly. So only why when you're talking to God, then already the mouth gets all uh, jumbled up and the words get all uh, 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 swallowed and it's not being presented properly. Therefore, lastly, Chamaruch used to say, the best trick for the berachot to be made properly is the berachot should be divided into three parts. He said, put a comma, and a comma and a soft pasuk. And he would say, Baruch atah Hashem. Pause. Elokeinu melech ha'olam. Pause. She'akol yavet baruch. He said, break every blessing into three parts, or at least it'll naturally or force you to stop in order to make 
but unfortunately, again, it's more attractive to the people to eat than to break blessings. And therefore, they rush through the beracha, and they're unfortunate, as I said, in contempt of this pasuk of Yemalepi Telatecha. Last pasuk of the day, and then we'll continue in the next year. Al Tashlicheni Le'ed Zikna. Okay, well, this is something we all pray for. Do not throw me into the, uh, what we call old age. Nobody wants to get thrown into old age. Kichlot kohi, when my energies start to become uh, weakened, al ta'azbeni, do not leave me. And uh, what he meant to say over here is, God Almighty, when I was young, and I was running away from Shaul, at least I was young, I had some, some strength, I had vigor. Now already I'm an old man already, and I'm still doing the same thing. And therefore, Now already I don't have the same kohot that I had when I was young, ripping apart bears and, 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 and uh, lions. When my kawah is, is, is finishing, is coming to a, to, to, to a halt, do not leave me. Now, uh, the Mepharshim come along and say, the Baal Shem Tov said this over here, that this is being said even to youngsters, even to middle-aged people that still have their strength. But they act like old people. That means you see some of the people, uh, they come, everything is slow, everything is heavy, they don't have any enthusiasm in their, in their step, everything is uh, belabored. So therefore, they say, but you're only 25 years old, you act like an old man, how old are you over there? So the pasuk is saying, my service should not be like an old age person. When I'm young. That means my service to you should always be with vim, with life, with motivation. And therefore do not throw me that my service should be old and stale and uh, 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 you know, without lackluster and without uh, 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 ability to, to be motivated. There was one rabbi, he was 90 years old, and you see running to the Bet Knesset, running outside the Bet Knesset, running to do Birkat Lebanah, running to the Matzah Fagra, always running to do the Mitzvot. So somebody came to him and said, I don't understand, you're 90 years old, where do you get the, uh, the, the strength over here to be running to do all these Mitzvot? He says, that's your mistake, I'm not 90 years old. So what do you mean you're not 90 years old? We know exactly. He says, no, I'm three men of 30. <laughs> uh, three men of 30, that's a different way of, uh, of looking at life. That means he says, it's not how old I am on my birth certificate. He says, I'm three men of 30 in my brain. I, I keep myself young. When my grandmother, when she became 100, she lived over 100. And uh, at her birthday, she was cognizant. We were all there. It was a blessing. So we said to my grandmother, uh, happy birthday, grandma. 100 years old. She said, no, it's the 30th anniversary of my 70th birthday. <laughs> I stayed at 70, I stopped the clock there. Now we just keep on making an anniversary, which is very, 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 very good way. There's another fellow in the community, Salbatesh Alabashanam. Salbatesh was a Sadiq. And uh, he was a very clever man, a very, very thoughtful man, a very proper man. And he, uh, one of the things he did, he instituted a lot of things. He loved the Bet Kenesi, he loved Sifret Torah, he loved the traditions. Very, very, very good man, very pious man. And uh, Baruch Hashim is a wonderful family too, for no coincidence. From good comes good. And uh, he, one time, uh, showed me something that he did for his family. He has brothers and sisters, and a lot of them are older than him. 
and the, he made a, an event for them. They all came to his house, wherever it was. I think it was a deal, or maybe wherever it was. And all his brothers' siblings came. But what was the party? He said, Rabbi, my siblings are getting old, and they're feeling old. And that's the biggest uh, 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 you know, uh, deterrent to keep on living. And they still have things to do. And I don't want them to feel old. Like David Amir said, Zikna is in the head. He was believed. And he was right to a certain degree. This guy was 90 years old. He didn't think he was 90. He acted like a 30-year-old. But if a person in his brain thinks he's old, then already he's 22 years old. He's walking like an old man, walking slowly over there. Well, you're not an old man. You're still 20. So he, he did a party. It was called a, uh, a, uh, a, a, a year reduction party. What does that mean? He presented every one of his siblings a paper. He said, this is certified that as of today, you're officially 10 years younger than you are. And he would give it. So it says you're 70, now you're 60. And that, it was, it was, it was psych- psychological what he was doing over there. And he was trying to give a message to each one of his uh, siblings that don't, don't become now resolved that, the age, that your age should cause you to act like your age. Which means, there's certain times we tell a person, act like your age. That's when he's acting immaturely. But when he's acting too mature, <laughs> then we tell them, don't act like your age. Act younger. That's Tavira Melech. Okay, we'll stop over here. Amen. Yes.